0: We've got a special guest speaker that I'm going to ask to come out here in just a few moments. I knew about this gentleman that's going to come share before I actually met him. And the reason is, is I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. And it was assumed when you grew up as a young man in Wisconsin, you did two things. You played ice hockey and you wrestled. So I did both of those. And I was better at one of those sports than the other. But I grew up really loving wrestling, and so I began to attend the UVA wrestling meets. And there was a newer coach there by the name of Steve Garland. And one of his assistant coaches, named Josh Walker, attended City Church. And I remember one day kind of pulling Josh aside and saying to him, You know what, Josh? Your your coach is pretty messed up, isn't he? And he said, Pete, you have no idea. I said, really? He said, yep, this guy needs a lot of help. Now, the next thing I'm going to say I mean with all of my heart. I served as a chaplain at Princeton University for 10 years. And while I was there, I was in more philosophical debates and apologetic debates than you could ever dream of. But let me tell you something. There was one thing that would silence every single doubter, and it was this the story of a radically transformed life by the power of the resurrected Jesus. It silenced everyone. And so at this time, you're going to hear the personal story of Coach Steve Garland as he comes to tell you about what Jesus has done in his life.
1: (laughs) I had to, I had to. I hurt my back doing that, by the way. Yeah, this is a trip. Uh, first of all, I think it's a trip because this thing right here is about the coolest thing I've ever done, this whole headset piece. I told my guys out when they were getting coffee when they got here that I wish I could just walk around, pra- not just practice, but campus with this, kind of like holstered up where I just go Poof, and just throw it in and just like start talking to people and yelling at them and speakers come out. I think that'd be pretty cool to be able to do that. But uh, it's also a trip for me because, as you see in the front row, the mutants in the front row here—that's that's my wrestling team—and uh, yeah, thanks. It takes one heck of an act of God to get a whole team at church. Let me tell you something. Yeah, And also, my staff is here as well, the Paulson brothers, and Shelton Mack, and Eddie, they're they're here in the stands sprinkled in, and these guys have just been tremendous encouragement for me over the last six months, so really big deal. The biggest reason why this is a big deal for me to be here today is it's sort of a day of redemption for me, and here's what I mean by that. A lot of you guys probably don't know this, but I spoke here right on this stage. I taught the sermon about two years ago. Pete gave me the opportunity to do that, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't think it went too well. Uh, You know, it's one of those deals where when you hear your own voice back, you're like, oh, it wasn't good. I got off the stage, and just to give you an example of how bad it was, so I walk off the stage, and my mother-in-law was the first person I saw, and we call her Mama, and she's from the Deep South, so basically, I can do no wrong in Mama's eyes. So I go, Mama, how'd you think it went? She went, oh, baby, it was beautiful, and she, you're just so great, and she loved it, you know? And then I turn to my wife, who's my hardest critic and my biggest fan, but my hardest critic, I turn to English, and she goes, um... Um, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. You know that when somebody doesn't want to lie right to your face, so they look down and to the left, you know? I was like, that wasn't the vote of confidence I was hoping for. And quick aside, my wife hates when I use her name in public, so I always weave her in as best I can to embarrass her. My super pretty, I love you, honey, so pretty, I love you. So, But yes, in all seriousness, the message that I talked about back then was a message on uh, being a missionary in your own home, in the ministry it takes uh, in your own home. And the anchor verse for that message was when Jesus told his apostles, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And the first part of that message that Jesus was telling his followers was very strategic. He was saying, and, and Pete, you taught me this, Jerusalem was home. Jerusalem was home, and so there's a reason why he started with that location. And what I got to confess to this church was that uh, I had been failing in that realm in my own home, and I challenged the men in this room with that. I said, you know, I confessed that I had been sharing the gospel for five years all over the country, literally all over the United States, and I've never led one Bible study in my own home. That was tough. That was tough for me to say out loud. It was tough for me to deal with, but praise God by his grace, and through that message, he put on my heart, things changed. And my my oldest daughter's down here now, Sarah, she can tell you, we've been doing Bible studies ever since, and they get pretty intense, don't they? You better know what justification means. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My guys can tell you, I get get into it. It's like, you know, I'm breaking down R.C. Sproul and Ravi Zacharias and Charles Spurgeon, and they're seven and 11, you know? But that, that's the other one I like, to, I like to embarrass is my daughter, Sarah. One of my favorite pastimes to do is when I get to bring her to school once a week because we have morning practices, so I don't usually get to bring her. But when I bring her on Wednesdays, I roll down the windows and I blast worship music and I dance and sing to her out the window. And I'll move the car. As she's getting out, I'll move the car with it, you know? It's awesome. I love you, honey. But finally, the, the big reason why this is such a trip for me is because I love this church. I mean, I love this church. My wife and I and my kids, we've been coming here for, you told me this last night, 10 years. I didn't even realize that. 10 years we've been coming here, and I was baptized by Pastor Pete uh, over at City Church Central. I prayed the prayer where I went all in for Christ over at at City Church Central, what was then called CFA. I mean, So our lives have been dramatically changed by this church family and by the church leadership, and so it's a big deal. And I take it serious. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Last night, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I never get nervous before I talk, ever. And I've been a train wreck. I, mean, Pete, I was driving him nuts before you guys got here. I got here at like 8.15. He's like, dude, I'm not even in the parking lot yet. You know, so, that's, so this is, and I take it real serious. And so um, the reason why is because this is a chance for me to give you part two of that first message that I gave that I referenced several years ago. And I talked about at that time, again, ministry in your home. Now I get to come to you and present a speech about ministry in the marketplace, ministry at your job. And so, in order to do that, um, I want to give you just some background because I, I see some empty seats. I think people are like, man, Pete's not speaking today? I know, I know. But there's a reason why I believe God's called me to be up here today, and there's a message he's put on my heart. And so, um, let me give you the background and give you some context to how we got to this point. So, right after one of Pete's messages, this is like six years ago now. I was on my knees in my house. I was right in my living room praying after the, you now you get you know, the conviction message. It was a message about serving. And I got convicted because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And I, I'm praying, Lord, how can I serve you? And I, I really felt like God put on my heart pretty strongly. That mouth of yours, that never stops running. You're going to start using it for my glory and not yours. And I'm, I don't want to freak anybody out. I didn't hear an audible voice. Charlton Heston didn't just come in the living room and talk to me. That's one of your jokes, Pete. You always talk about Charlton Heston. I just fell on my heart strongly that I needed to use the only gift he's given me for him, and I needed to give it back to him. That was going to be my spiritual, my living act of worship to him. And it's amazing how it started. It's just real small stuff. I mean, Brother John, remember I spoke at the Elks Club for you. Uh, I spoke at Covenant School, if anybody's a covenant person here. Little things, here and there, just being faithful. And a quick aside, as you're faithful with the little things, what's the Bible say? God will give us bigger things? And that's what we began to happen. God started to give me these bigger platforms, these huge platforms to share the gospel in the wrestling community and above. Before I knew what I was doing, leadership academies in Illinois. I'm down in Florida. I was at this mega church in Florida called Calvary Chapel. A lot of you guys have probably heard that. And they're giving me the keys to the kingdom. I, I show up. They're like, "All right, man, you got three days. You're running all the chapels. You're running the worship. You're teaching the sessions. You're teaching the word. You're running the wrestling camp." It was crazy. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen that place. It's like a Christian Disneyland. I mean, you walk in, I'm not kidding you, they have trams. The the campus is so big, they have trams that bring you places. I mean, this is huge. And then God opens up the door for me to be a team chaplain for the junior world team. I'm sharing the gospel in Brazil with the who's who of the wrestling world. Cale Sanderson, undefeated, four-time national champs, listen to me talk about Jesus. I've got Olympic coaches in the room. I've got world team. One of my guys who's here today was there with me at the camp in Colorado. And, and Jack, you were faithful. There's probably only two people a night coming to my Bible studies. That was a buzzkill. Was but Jack came every night. And, and, but here's the thing. Again, being faithful with the little things, he opens up door for bigger things. And my, my dream of dreams came this year. I got to do the uh, keynote speech at the prayer breakfast at the NCAA tournament. So as I step up to the mic, I look out, and there's six Olympic and world champions right away, right in the crowd. This is crazy. I used to have posters of these dudes on my wall. And now I'm getting up and talking to them and telling them what's what. And I went hard, like real hard, scary, scary hard. It was awesome. And, and, and what happened was as I reflected on that, it hit me. I had this, you know, just sort of this piece about this is your mission field. This is your mission field. And you see why that's important is because I had been struggling with, I, I'm thinking, man, I, I, my wife can tell you, I read this book called Radical. Have you guys ever read this book? Anybody? right? After that book, you just feel worthless. Who else felt worthless after reading that? I was like, we're not doing enough. We got to go to Africa. We got to sell everything. I'm like, I mean, it was crazy. And what happened was, see, this is the key lock in on this. I started comparing myself to what I call stud Christians, I started comparing myself to Peter Sorensen and Vicky Sorensen who I think are the biggest stud Christians going. I just locked eyes with you guys so it hit me. First time we ever met them, we were at a thing at uh, an event at City Church Central and we were asking what our goals are and dreams are and you guys were like, "Well, we want to finish the orphanage in Africa that we started and that's one of our dreams." And me and my wife were like, "Holy smokes. We're trying to get cable and they're talking about finishing an orphanage." <laughs> it's crazy. Right? And Tim Longo, you got, look at, who does not, what dude in here doesn't want to be Tim Longo? Is that dude the man or what? So, and, 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 but here's the thing, though. God said, no, no, wait a second. I've got you where you are for a reason, and I'm going to use you. Just like I've been using you, this is your mission field. And so what that has to do with you guys is actually pretty simple. Wherever you're at in your life, we all believe, we just raised our hands and sang to a God that we believe is sovereign, he's got you where you're at for a reason, He's got a purpose and a plan for your life, and he wants to use you right where you're at. And the first way, uh, well, I actually heard a pastor say this two weeks ago, is the greatest sermon I'll ever preach will be with my life and not with my lips. It'll be with my life and not with my lips. So the first job, as my, my boy, one of my mentors, Richie McKay, who's now the head coach at Liberty in basketball, he used to say, man, show him Jesus. And at first, I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And I said, no, you don't understand. This kid's crazy. I got to go meet with this kid. He's like, no, just show him Jesus. I'm like, no, but this coach I got to deal with. No, he's just show him Jesus. No, but my AD just doesn't get it. He's like, yeah, yeah, just show him Jesus. Finally, after the third time I got what he was saying, he said, look, you got to live them out. You got to live them out with your life and not with your lips first. But here's the point of the message is that as we do that, as we are faithful, and this is a big but, God's going to open up doors for us to be able to share truth and inject truth into people's lives. And it's our responsibility to be ready to go in full throttle courageously. To plow through that door, not creep in like this. I'm talking straight in, hard. That's what we're called to do. That's not Steve Garland, that's the Bible. And I'm gonna hopefully back that up here with scripture in a second. And so how do I do that? How do I, how do, I do that? And that's, that's really what I wanna do is just give you guys an example, give you guys a look at what it might look like to uh, share your faith in the marketplace, to, share, to have ministry right where you're at, right in your vocation. And the way I do it is very simple. I just tell them my story. You mentioned that, Pete. I had no idea you were gonna start your intro with that. But all the theologians in the world, I mean, all the pastors I've listened to, and I study them. I listen to two podcasts a day. My wife can tell you it drives her nuts. I mean, every morning I'm listening to these guys, and as smart as they are, you know what always gets me every time? is when they share a story about a transformed heart and a transformed life. Nobody can refute that. If you take your story, where you were at, the beginning, before Christ, when Christ came into the picture, and where you're at now, what he's doing in your life now, nobody can argue with you. That's irrefutable. It's this is my life, this is what he's done in my life. You may not buy it, but that's the truth. And so that's what I do. I share my story. And I do it with a structure, though, and that's the the, the core points of what I'm going to be talking about today, the structure. There's three things I always hit on. Purpose, peace, and hope. The reason why is because no matter what your background, where you're from, the color of your skin, how you were raised... What your demographic you come from, no matter where you're at in your life, the human heart longs for, and I believe the Bible backs this up, three core things, purpose, peace, and hope. No matter where you are, the human heart longs and yearns for those three things. Wow. We're good? Oh, jeez, that's even worse. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, let's just pack it in, guys. Come on, let's get out of here. (laughs) So purpose, peace, and hope. How does it, what does it look like when I do this? And my guys are going to laugh because they've heard some of this, but here's the deal, they haven't heard all of it, okay? They haven't, you guys haven't heard all of it, so this is a big thing for me. The first one, purpose, whenever I talk to any group of kids, or matter of fact, any group of men, I always hit them with that first. That's kind of the big deal, right? Origin, meaning, morality, destiny, origin and meaning. Who are we? Where do we come from? What's the point of it all? What are we doing here? What's my why? My guys, we had meetings this week, we call them focus meetings, where every one of these guys had to sit down with me, and we had, to, um, we had to go over their goals for the year and the pillars of the program, but before any of them said a word, what's the first thing I said to you guys? What's your, what's your why? What's your why? Everything else we do is going to be anchored to that, and that's going to be your source of strength when times go rough, because they will, trust me. We've already seen some things go down. It's going to happen. The poo's going to hit the fan. So what are we holding on to that's deeper, that's our foundation? What's our anchor? And so when I've been so blessed, guys, to go across the country and look kids in the face and say, listen, you were made on purpose for a purpose. You were made by God for God. I referenced all those theologians and how smart they are. You know what's awesome? God didn't make it hard to figure that out. Genesis chapter 1, page 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. We don't have to look much further than that. Okay, God, I'm good now. Okay, oh, I got that one. And then verse 26, as it goes down, it talks about you were made in his image. God made you in his image. Where's my girl who always yells amen? Somebody yell amen. Yeah. We, I mean, right? That's where, the, that's where it comes in right there. We were made. What if we all lived like that where we actually believed it and lived out that reality that we are made in God's image? We matter. You matter. And that may seem obvious to you guys. You're like, man, i got to figure it out. No. But the kids I get to speak to, trust me when I say they need to hear it. And I know because I was one of them. I got to speak at my high school. This past year, I gave the eulogy at my grandmother's funeral. And from the funeral, I went over in my suit to the high school. I knew they'd be practicing, and I just kind of barged in. I hadn't been there since 1993. Had some bad memories from where I grew up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back. And when I looked in these kids' faces, when I looked in their eyes, the same look The same look of emptiness and lostness that they were given back is the same look I had when I wrestled in the same room, 1990s. Same face. 75% of this room, they have no connection to their, earth, their biological father at all, and if they do, the guy's a drug dealer. That's the town I grew up in. And that's being generous, probably more than 75%. You know, honey, remember when I came home from that trip, how fired up I was? I got so convicted that I hadn't been back, that I thought I was... I didn't want to go back. I had too many painful memories, but I'm telling you what, I'm going back every year now because those kids need to hear it, and I got to round them up, and I don't know how much they got. I know their, I know their coach probably. I'm not sure what he thought of me. I just went crazy, I and mean, I was like, you guys need to know this, man. You were made on purpose for a purpose. Here's the deal. This is how simple and yet how powerful God makes our purpose. Here's the deal. If I asked Sarah, you should know this, but if I asked your sister Gracie, who's seven, If she came to me and she said, Daddy, what's my purpose? What's it all about? Why am I here? The answer is this, for his glory. For his glory. Why do we exist? Why did he make us? For his glory. Why do I coach? For his glory. Why do I parent? For his glory. Why am I a husband? For his glory. All of it comes down to that. Thank you. You see... I'm not Steve Garland, the wrestling coach. I'm not Steve Garland, the wrestler. That's not my purpose. That's not my calling. That's not my calling. Here's what I mean. I, when, if anybody asked me pre-Jesus, when I was thir- at 30 years of my life through this, what are you? I would have said I'm a wrestler. What do you mean? Who I am? Who are you? I'm a Wrestler. And you do it like this, and your cheeks come out. You Do that one. You ever see these dudes walk? They walk like this. You know. That's how... That's George. My buddy George here. He sees me walk like that in the neighborhood. He's like, what's wrong with you, man? I'm like, I know. <laughs> but that's insane when you think about it. Here's why. Let me get... And let me get serious with you guys and give you guys... This is where I start to unpack my story. It started from... A, my obsession with wrestling actually started in, from a horrible situation but transformed into a good thing and then went horrible again. Here's what I mean. In ninth grade, I didn't start wrestling really late in life. Seventh grade. And in ninth grade... My brother and I were really running with the wrong crowd. I'm talking like we lived across the street from the housing project. Um, we, my, my parents were really, it was a rough situation between them. We were divorced and um, back and forth, different homes. I think I calculated this out when I spoke for Pete's men's group once. I think I lived in seven different homes in, in six years. We were just bouncing all over the place. Grandma, the other grandma, here, there, my father. and my father's across the river. My mom's in Ohio. I mean, we were just, just really uneasy. And... What happened was we said, okay, when you're a young boy, what I looked up to was the tough guys. And that's sad to say, I looked up for the coolest dude who could beat everybody up, that had the most money, that had the cool car and that the girls liked. Does that make sense? That's sad to admit out loud, but that's what I, want. That's what I looked up to. Sarah, don't ever do that. <laughs> and, and so we rolled with some pretty hard-hitting, tough dudes. I mean, I'm talking some crazy kids, and and one of our guys I looked up to was a guy by the name of Tony Chase. He was the coolest, toughest dude in the housing project, quarterback of the football team, total stud. Me and my brother worshipped worshipped him, and we were walking home from school one day in our big group, and um, we, for some reason, praise God, me and my brother got separated from the group, and we just kept walking home. Well, about three blocks from where we were, that kid Tony Chase had gotten in an argument earlier that day with two other guys, 15-year-old, 16-year-old kids. They tracked him down. They hunted him down. They took turns shooting him point-blank range with a handgun. They shot him nine times. They took turns shooting him. And when me and my brother went and saw him <clears throat> in the hospital a few days later, I remember seeing the holes in his arms. I remember seeing holes through him. He lived. he's paralyzed the rest of his life. And something hit me right there. My brother wanted to go get the guys. He wanted to. Man, I was, I was scared. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was scared. And I thought, well, what's the one thing I've got? Wrestling's the thing i got. Because it doesn't matter. When I'm in that wrestling room, that's my room. And I'm the toughest dude in here. No matter how small I am, I'm the best dude in there. I'm going to outwork everybody. This is something I can control. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to do something. It's going to be in this thing. And so it became an obsession. It became something that controlled every moment of my waking moment from whether I was up or whether I was sleeping. I ended up through high school, um, you know, taking second in the state, taking third in the country, being ranked number one in the country at my weight class, a little tiny weight class that nobody cared about, but it was, I was into it. <laughs> and I, uh, I ended up getting to the University of Virginia. And I, and I come down here and I win the ACC tournament. And then over time, I end up getting to the pinnacle of our sport, which is the national title match. I'm in the NCAA finals. Uh, 14,000 people St. Louis beautiful arena packed sold out first-ever sellout in NCAA history and it's gonna be my moment man I'm gonna go out on stage I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna man. I'm gonna love it, right? (laughs) And I've been dreaming about this moment my whole life, but here's what's so messed up Here's what I tell these guys. I've shared this with you guys this part of the story when it's your everything and Your purpose is to win and you lose. What are you? You're a loser That's what I thought when everything in your life is to be the best and you don't become the best, what the heck do you have? And when I walked off that stage in the national finals, I sat in the hallway by myself on a blue duffel bag, and I just broke down and wept and wept and wept. And everybody left me alone for about an hour. And I remember that was the emptiest I've ever felt in my life. That's the most empty feeling I've ever felt in my entire life, was in that moment. And here's the deal, it wasn't because I lost. I think at the time, I I thought that's maybe why I was so miserable. But here's the thing, if I would've won, Where I was at in my life, it would have been two weeks of partying, and then week three, I would have woke up in the same state and wept the same way. Because that championship can't make me. It can't complete me. It doesn't define me. It gives me nothing. That hole that started through the center of my chest when my parents got divorced when I was eight years old had now gotten that big, and nothing I could do in terms of achievement was ever going to fill it and close it up. Never going to fill it. So I, I, I'm scrambling. After, I went through the worst phase of my life after that. It was, it was two or three weeks of complete depression. Uh, I remember being on an aerodyne at 7 o'clock in the morning, and bawling my eyes out the week after the national tournament. I, I thought I could work it off, I thought I could like, do sprints enough where the pain would go away. That didn't work. Then I went down just debauchery, 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 and finally I get a call from the coach at Cornell University who was best friends with my coach. He goes, hey, uh, I hate to act like, you know, I guess I should have some creative story how I got up to Cornell. You guys don't know this one. He just called up and was like, hey, Lenny vouched for you. You need a job? I was like, yeah, matter of fact, yeah. I went up there and started working for this guy, and things. it's amazing what happened in our life. At that time, we ended up being fourth in the country, fifth in the country. I ended up winning the National Coach of the Year Award in 2005. I was voted the best coach in the country by my peers. And again, here's the problem with trying to fill that hole, trying to make your purpose accomplishment. Guys, I was still, even with that plaque that just sits in my office now, collecting dust, I was still the same lost and empty kid the day before than I was after getting that award. Nothing had changed. And I thought, okay, well, here's the problem. I just need to be a head coach. That's what it is. I just need to be a head coach. I need to be the boss. That's what it is. I need to be the boss. So I get down. I get my dream job. I have my dream wife. I've got a beautiful daughter. She's a week old when we got hired here, and I've literally got the white picket fence. I got it all, but yet I had nothing, and that's the truth. That sounds corny. It's so true, guys. I had everything you could, the world could say you could want, and I had nothing. That first year of my life was the worst year of my life personally, professionally, with our marriage. It was bad. It was so bad, so bad. And again, here's the thing, what God used in my life, this is how awesome God's grace is. He'll even use the thing that you think you want the most to bring you to your knees. Okay? He'll break you to then use you. You guys understand? He'll bring you down to the pit and he'll say, okay, now we're going to start using you. And that's what he did for me. He broke me down. So I, I just kept, we couldn't win. We stunk. And here's the thing, if your identity is in being good and you're not good, I start. it sounds ridiculous, but I started losing my mind. I was terrible. Honey, how hard was I working? I would leave the house at 7 o'clock in the morning. I would get home at 9.30 at night. My daughter, Sarah, I'm glad you don't remember this. I don't even remember the first year of your life. I have no clue. People are like, remember this picture? I'm like, not really. I was working. I was trying to win. Well, here's the problem with that. You get to the point where you're like, wait a second. This is not good. Every relationship in my life is damaged because of this, because of this chasing of this thing. And I had a guy in my life that God put in my life named Mike Alley, who's a fellowship of Christian athletes ministry guy, and he would come by the office every week and start ministering to me, start sharing the word to me. And here's how bad I had it. I used to turn the lights off and hide from the guy. (laughs) The same guy, talk about God's grace, the same guy that's now using to share the gospel in Brazil, I was hiding from this cat with the lights off because I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear the truth. I didn't want to hear it. I could figure it out on my own. And see, here's how awesome God is. He kept coming every week. He kept coming. And finally, I was ready to listen. When I when I'm in when you're in the pit, let's say you're in a 45 foot well and you got and you can't get out, and you're looking around, you're looking around. There's no way. Where do you look? Up. When I was in that pit, the only place that was exactly where God wanted me, and I started looking up. And my wife, meanwhile, back at the ranch, is ministering to me. She's coaching up the coach. She actually coached me on how to go up and give my life to Christ. Matter of fact, she was following me up the stairs. You better get up there, and you better you better get on your knees. Yeah, It was great, right? She's like, I don't have time for that. No, just kidding. But as English began to show me, here's the thing, guys. This is key for you guys. Salvation comes through submission and surrender, not through work. I thought I could fight my way out. And what happened was when I truly submitted, that's what I did that day. When I went upstairs, when my wife coached me, I went into my bathroom floor. I got down on my face before God and I submitted. I said, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I don't even really know yet. I don't know what to think about you, but I'm telling you, if you're who my wife says you are, I need help. I'm messed up. And that night, as I, said, I don't remember how long I was down there, but it was a long time. And when I got up, the whole, I believe that's the day the Holy Spirit came into my life and started to convict me, truly convict me, and things started to change slowly but surely. And soon after that, we ended up at City Church through Josh Walker. Um, soon after that, I, I can just remember um, the words on the page as I started flipping through the word now started making sense. Now my mind was being illuminated, and I, I remember praying the prayer with Pastor Pete at City Church. You know, Pete always starts it off. I don't know everything there is to know about you, Lord. You know that one? I prayed it with all my heart. And when I was baptized, I, when I came up out of that water, I was a new creation. That old guy, that old guy was dead and buried, and the new guy came up out of there ready to rock. That's a true story. So here's the point. When I go now into these, when I talk to these kids and I talk to these men's groups, I say, listen, I'm not Steve Garland, the wrestling coach. I'm Steve Garland, chosen, holy, set apart, dearly loved, a child of God. Dearly loved, a child of God. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. How, when you rightly understand that, everything changes. That hole closes up pretty fast. And now the love of the Father that that's being poured into you and you're pouring back, that's your fuel to go do work. Can we throw Ephesians 2.8 up? I'm gonna end this, I'm gonna close this point off with this awesome verse. Ephesians, my favorite verse in the Bible. Everyone knows this one. I'm gonna get to the front part of that verse, but let me finish with this one. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are God's masterpiece. You know how awesome it is to look these guys in the face and go, dude, you're God's masterpiece. I had a kid come into my office, this is a true story, I can't say his name, but four years ago, five years ago, walked into my office, told me he was going to kill himself and told me how he was going to do it. You know how lost and separated from your true purpose in life you have to be to even say that or think that? And he was going to do it. And I held this kid in my arms in the hospital and got to share that verse with him. I got to tell this kid, hey man, you were made on purpose for purpose, you are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. And he's got work for you to do. I've got work to do. And let me be clear on this. I don't mean work for salvation. I just mentioned we can't do that. I'm not saying work to be saved. I'm saying work because we're saved. Work because we're saved. It's, it's, it's God's grace. The front part of that verse is, for as by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. Not by works. It's the gift of God. It's his, uh, it's our, he gives this gift to us. It's our unearned gift. I can't earn it undeserved gift. I certainly don't deserve it. And he gives it to us anyway. That's the God we serve. Guys, that's the God of the Bible. He's not up there with a big giant gavel ready to throw it down on your head. That's the God we serve. That leads me to my next point, peace. When you rightly understand that and you have a reconciled relationship with God, an intimate personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, everything changes. And the restlessness that I felt for so long, and man, was I restless, Goes away. It's replaced with peace. Replaced with peace. Let me let me just. I, I want to share the, the uh, story from the prodigal son, and I won't go through the whole the whole uh, parable. You guys have all heard it. For guys that don't know, the parable goes like this: You've got a son that's in a house with a great father. He basically spits in the father's face and says, "I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to go do, live life my own way. I'm going to go do it my own way." And he runs off, and the Bible says, "On wild living." The Bible G rates it. This guy was going off. Okay. He went Vegas and then some. He wastes everything. He loses everything. He comes back. He realizes, wait a second, this isn't working. This isn't going well. He turns and comes back. And here's the part of the story that I love, guys. This is where God comes in. This is the God we serve. When he gets just as far as the property line, the Bible says, while he's a long way off, the father saw him, which means this, the father never stopped looking and waiting for his son to come back. He never stopped looking for him. The the son didn't have to run to the father. The father ran to him. The father ran to him. It says, once he got to the property line, the father sprints off the porch and tackles him with his love. That's amazing to me. The father didn't owe the son nothing. Our father doesn't owe us nothing. And yet he chooses to stay there waiting for us, longing for us to come back. And I got news for you if anybody's turned away from him, if anybody's running for him, he's still waiting for you and he wants you back. He hasn't stopped looking. And the part in that story that's so beautiful to me is when he finally gets back, that dad loves him, he hugs him, he puts the robe on him, he puts the ring on his finger, he brings him to the party. He says, it's all right. I know you've done bad, but God's grace is bigger than all that. It's bigger than all that. There's peace. There's such peace in that. The second part of peace, the peace of forgiveness. Do you know the only thing I think that separates the Christian worldview from every other's is, is what? It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. I've witnessed and I've felt in my own life, I've experienced true forgiveness. When I had that experience, I've, I've told some of these guys this story, but I want to share it with everybody here today. The, the power of forgiveness, God's forgiveness, uh, I, comes from true repentance. That's the first place it starts. I told a guy on my team this, this week, true repentance, real repentance. Here's what I mean by real repentance. Not sorry that you got caught. Not sorry for the consequence. Not sorry for the situation you're in. You're sorry because you broke God's heart and he broke the heart of those he loves. That's what you're sorry about. And when I experienced that for the first time in my life, it was after praying that prayer with you, Pete, I went back to my bed sometime later, short time later, and I wept and I cried my eyes out on the bed and I was repenting to God, repenting to him for everything. And I could physically feel the weights dropping off my back. I got up, my shoulders, my head was up, I I felt lighter. I couldn't, I can't explain to you the, I wish I had the words, I'm I'm not that smart, but let's just say it was a big deal when I got up and my life was changed in that moment because I felt what real forgiveness felt like. You guys know what I'm talking about? When you're truly repenting about something and God make, gives you that peace of forgiveness. And, and, and you know, the, the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's the power of Jesus Christ to break every chain in your life. To that point in my life, guys, I had been struggling for 10 years with bondage to alcohol. You guys want to know really why I don't drink? It's because I was reading right after that moment when I got up and I, I got up and I prayed and I turned to a book, the, the Bible opened and I turned to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you receive from God. Your body is not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. I read that verse, and it hit me. The, the, the message that Pastor Pete preached in church about the power of the cross. I saw Jesus Christ on the cross, spit on, mocked, tortured, whipped, crucified for me, and I'm putting alcohol in my body. This temple that he died for, that he now inhabits, I'm getting him drunk. No way. That's it. Again, I didn't hear an audible voice, but honey, have I ever touched it since? It was like, pfft, done. Alcohol will never be in this home. It will never touch my lips again. I will never do it again. It'll never be a part of our lives. Not because I'm a stutter. I got discipline because God put that on my heart that, I mean, I'm going to honor him with my body, my very body. What I do to my body, what I put into my body Matters. I'm going to give one last story of forgiveness, and this involves human forgiveness. So the forgiveness starts with God's grace, and then it trickles out to humans. My wife, who's sitting here today, as it, you know, we already embarrassed her once, she had to forgive me for a lot. I was a really bad husband. And here's what repentance looks like, real repentance. And I told one of my guys this, this week how beautiful it is to live out real repentance. I had to sit my wife down shortly after that, Pete, sit her down and repent. And say, honey, when we were dating, all those times you were worried about me on the road, you should have been. All those times you were worried about me doing A, B, and C, I was. And repent to her. And here's how amazing God's grace is, guys. The other night, this is just last week. We were up in the bed together. Not weird. Not, we were just going night-night. And I had to throw that in. And one of my guys who had just come in town had dinner with us and he was with his girlfriend and they were so in love and they were holding hands and they were just so happy together and man, I I told my wife afterwards, we were getting ready for bed, I go, honey, you think we still got it like that or what? I'm like, they look like they were doing all right. And she said, Steve, let me tell you something. The new creation in Christ is who I'm in love with. That old guy, he's dead and buried. I'm way more in love with this guy than I ever was that guy. That's crazy. Hope. Pete, how are we doing on time? Good? Hope, guys. So I mentioned my wife a lot. She's been an instrumental part of ministering to me, as I said. And I remember driving with her when we uh, first met, and she said, Steve, if you wrecked the car right now, what do you think would happen to you? Where do you think you're going? What do you, you think is going to happen to you? And I was like, mean, well, you know, <clears throat> what happened was, I start coming up with every excuse in the book. Meanwhile, in my heart, I'm like, holy smokes, that one hit me hard. So I want to give you guys, the bottom line is this. If I had to be honest with that question, here's the honest answer. At that time in my life, I didn't think anywhere good. I didn't think there was any way God could forgive me for the things I had done. I just didn't think there was any way. If there was a heaven, there was no possible way I could get there. How many of you guys know somebody like that? That's hopelessness. So, when I define hope, when I speak to people, I say, let me, do, let me, before I even get into what hope means, the opposite extreme, let me tell you what hopelessness looks like. And I'm taking a risk sharing the story because my 11 year old's in, in here and she's never heard anything like this. She doesn't know that, Steve. All she knows is the daddy that's been saved. And my guys have never heard this story either, I don't think. I'm taking a risk, but I want you guys to not focus on the graphics of the story, the violence in the story. I want you to focus on what God's done through me, in this, into me, in the story. The most hopeless I was, at 18 years old, it was right after I lost my second state championship, I was completely lost. I, I honestly didn't know if there was a point of living anymore. I, that's how warped my brain was. I thought that if you didn't win a state championship, what's the, what's the point? And my twin brother, I have a twin brother, uh, that's a whole nother sermon, and he, and, and he had gotten in a huge fight. And so I ran down to, to get in the fight, and, and I'm talking this fight was a particularly bad one. There were, I remember bottles breaking against brick walls, the sound of bodies being thrown into concrete. There's a specific sound that a fist makes when it hits the concrete. There was people screaming. There was always a girl screaming in fights. And as the fight broke out, as a, me and this guy broke out from the herd, and I looked at this guy, and I shared this with Pastor Pete this week when I was talking about what I was going to say in this message. As me and this guy squared up and we started circling each other, I looked in this guy's eyes and it was the most hopeless, lost, empty look. It was like a doll's eyes looking back at me. This guy was, he had bad intentions and he wasn't in a good place. And he was slouched like this and he had something by his leg. He was holding what looked like an ice pick, but it was a knife. And this is all in a melee of about 30 seconds I had to figure out what to do. And so me and this guy are circling each other and and as he starts with a knife, he starts to walk towards me and this is what hopelessness looks like. I hear my brother going, no, 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 and I swung anyway. I just took back and went right at him. That doesn't make me tough, guys. That makes me hopeless. I wasn't suicidal. I just didn't care. So what if he kills me? So what? I didn't think I was going anywhere good anyway. So what? That's a terrible thing to say out loud, but that's the truth. That's where I was at in my life, but here's the amazing opposite of that extreme of God's hope. God's hope. Here's what it looks like. And I'll, forgive me, I'll use one last wrestling reference. In wrestling, the greatest feeling you can ever feel is when you get your hand raised. It's the greatest thing you get. Right, guys, when you get your hand raised? You know, you do this one with your head. You act like you don't care, but you care. You know, It's the greatest feeling in the world. And here's the deal. Jesus Christ has already had his hand raised. On the greatest battle, the greatest war that could ever be fought, he stands in victory over sin, death, Hell in the grave, he's conquered it all. And if I'm in him, that means I've conquered it all. Do you guys see that? He stands in victory. And if I'm in Christ, that means I stand in victory. That's what hope looks like. That's what victorious living looks like. That's what I'm talking about when I'm yelling at you guys about that stuff. Living in victory looks like that. I got to get, like, like I said, let me finish this. I got to tell, the, you know, this story at the national tournament, and I screamed it to 500 people. I said, guys, I've got two guys. One of them's here today. They're wrestling in the quarterfinals in 30 minutes. I had to sprint with my suit on to the tournament from the, from the speech, and I said, they're going to get their, they can either get their dream or not get their dream, and man, I hope they do, but here's the thing. They're both believers, so they've already won. They've already won. I said, man, I hope and I pray that they get that. I hope before they step on the mat, they know that they've already won. They can't lose. What if we lived our lives like that every day? We can't lose. When you're in Christ, the Bible says, not Steve Garland says, you're going to go to a place where every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, where all strivings will cease, no more sickness, no more sin, basking in the presence of the Lord of glory forever and ever and ever, ever. <laughs> We've already won. We should just walk around like this all day. What if we did that? What if we really rightly understood that and lived our lives like that? We've already won. Talk about weights being dropped off your back and being freed up to live out God's will. Hope. You've already won. You can't lose. Worship team, can you come on back up? I blacked out there for a second. I don't even know how long I've been going. Hopefully not too long. So I'm a really bad closer, so I actually wrote down a conclusion, because it's bad. My wife can tell you, this isn't my strong suit with speeches, so bear with me while I read this. As I mentioned when I started here today, God is going to open doors for you to share your story, and that's what you're going to do. You're going to be ready when that door opens, and this time you're going to run through it confidently, trusting in him, and you're going to tell them your story. And just like any story, your story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning, what your life was like before Christ, the middle, what happened when Christ came into the picture, and an ending, what's he doing in your life now? That's all you got to do. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a professional debater. You just got to be you. You've got a story that's unique to you, and you need to share it. You've got gifts and talents that are unique to you, and you need to use them. You got to be a good steward of the situations God got you in, the vocation he's got you in, the marriage he's got you in, the kids he's got you in, all of it. Because I believe, and I believe the Bible says it pretty clearly, that Jesus is the only way to find real purpose, real peace, and real hope. God just put this on my heart just now. I'm going to just lead these guys in a prayer for those in the room that aren't walking with Christ or don't know Jesus. We're going to pray for them, and we're going to pray for anybody that's maybe wandered a little bit, and they know that God's waiting on the porch while they're a long way off. He's looking for them, and he wants them back. You guys do that with me? father god thank you so much for your word thank you god for your power your work in our lives god i first pray for those of you that know you that have accepted your son jesus christ as lord and savior but they've tailed away they've trailed away from you they've walked away they may be only 10 yards away some of them may be a hundred thousand yards away but god we know that you want them back you're an awesome loving heavenly good good daddy and you want them back I pray by your grace you pull them back towards you you turn their heart back to you and I pray that they sprint back to the property line and you run off that porch and tackle them with your life I pray now also God for those of you that don't know you. maybe they think they were like me and they they, they don't think they need you, they think they can do life on their own God I pray that in this moment you will grab a hold of their heart transform their heart, and transform their lives that you would say son daughter, it's time to come home. You are my masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which I prepare in advance for you to do. It's time to do kingdom work. It's time to do kingdom work. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Welcome,
0: one more time if you don't know Jesus in him there's purpose there's peace and there's hope Steve's life is a living testimony it's an argument that cannot be defeated it's true we're going to close out with a brief prayer I'm completed praying. If you would like to come forward for prayer, we have a prayer team here that's here to pray with you and for you. If you would like to remain for a season of worship, we invite you to do that as well. If you're going to be heading to First Connect, just go ahead and head there as well. We're going to pray. God, I thank you for the message that we've heard. I pray for every single one of us that it would deeply impact our hearts. But Holy Spirit, now I pray a blessing over those who are still deciding whether or not to accept you as Lord and Savior of their lives. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon them and that before they exit this day and they lay their head to rest, that they will choose by faith to repent and to accept you into their lives. God, thank you for the story that we've just heard. I pray it would encourage us and compel us to be a group of people who leave this place to share our story about what you've done in us and through us. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. And may He give us peace. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen. Let's worship together. You can come forward for prayer or slip out quietly.
2: more of you God I want more self 10. No ask that you would set a fire in our hearts, God. We thank you for your grace, God. We thank you for your love. God, I ask that you just be with us, God, and let us shine for you. In Jesus' name,